Hello listeners, we are now joined by James Juniper from the University of Newcastle, who is going to talk to us about ecological economics and his interest in MMT, which goes back at least, what, 18 years? Yes, that's right. I joined the University of Newcastle. Um, I moved over from Adelaide, actually from the University of South Australia. So what are you presenting tomorrow, James, seeing we're actually talking to you, it's the rare exception where we're talking to you before you've actually given your formal presentation? Indeed, yeah. Well, I suppose I, I'm, I've been teaching ecological economics for um, the better part of about six years. And as an MMT advocate, you often come across people who say, well, look, MMT doesn't have a position on economic growth. MMT doesn't talk enough about the environment. And uh, I think that's sort of to misunderstand the role of the MMT lens in understanding what's going on in the world. But I think it's also to misunderstand what can be given to you by way of insight into matters ecological. And it would seem the significant thing here for listeners to remember is that yesterday Stephanie Kelton described MMT as a lens. And the important thing is you can apply a lens to bring focus to anything you're interested to. Exactly. So if your core interest is you know, ecological sustainability, mm. you apply the lens. If your core interest is what form of economic growth do we want, you can use the MMT lens and then you can combine the three things together in whatever unique way helps you build the most integrated and adaptable model. Yes, I, I agree entirely. And uh, I think one of the problems is that um, life scientists need to know that there are different ways of thinking about the economy. But I think economists need to be a bit more humble as well and need to collaborate with life sciences people to come up with uh, metrics and, and indicators that can help us to guide policy interventions better. And I think the other aspect is in moving beyond sort of neoliberal policies, we don't, we shouldn't just focus on market mechanism design and nudging and market-based solutions to environmental problems. The need for change is so dramatic now that we need to embark on a major economic transformation and we need guidance in achieving that. Yeah, we're at danger at the moment, it seems, of going, the only tool we have is a hammer, so every problem is going to be a nail and is going to get clobbered. We need to remember that before neoliberalism there were multiple schools and they were competing. And even though neoliberalism has been in ascendancy, in the Anglosphere, a lot of the rest of the world still don't buy in, which means other people have been trying other things. Other people have been keeping other ideas alive or developing new ideas. It would seem to me that what you're arguing for here is you know, multidisciplinary modelling based on genuine data, you know, where the data wins over the ideology. Yes, and I think one of the things that's come out in the last couple of days is that an MMT lens makes you focus on real issues of resource usage. Bill put out a blog a while ago, which I'll be talking about tomorrow, which emphasised the fact that MMT probably leans more towards classical political economy than it does towards Keynes. And the reasons for that are that we need to understand this notion of a metabolism and every society has to grapple with the problem of how to allocate labour and if you look at the development of things like national income accounting, and if you look at the development of in industrial ecology, people are working with models, economic models, which are grounded in the tradition of classical political economy. 
and issues around the creativity of labour and how to allocate labour in new ways and also how to pull labour out of production, both living and dead labour. So all these sort of issues that classical economists were trained to think about can also guide us in understanding what sort of transformations we require to achieve a sustainable economy in an ecological sense. So part of it is to revisit the body of knowledge we have at our disposal that may stretch back hundreds of years because there's going to be good bits to drag out of all of it if we're careful. So Stephanie's wonderful example yesterday of Keynes's book How to Pay for the War. Absolutely. Who would think there'd been a great read on how to deal with the government having to intervene to get particular outcomes that were necessary for society. So economic intervention to get you know, the social good of win the war. Precisely. And, uh, I mean, Randy Ray's written quite a good uh, paper on uh, Keynes's essay, where, which uh, shows how it can be applied in the context of uh, the Green New Deal. And that's great, because I did the crazy thing last night of reading it all as bedtime reading. <laughs> yeah, as you can tell, I'm mad in a good way. It good was idea. rather heavy uh, bedtime reading to do nearly two hours of canes before falling asleep. <laughs> I'm not sure I understood more than 15 minutes of it. Now, context-wise for our listeners, depending on whether you're listening to this in early 2020 or whether you're listening it years from now, at the moment Australia is going through catastrophic fires, millions of acres burning. To bring ecology and economics together, what could we take from the MMT lens about the kind of policy approach we might need to assist in recovery from the cataclysm we're going through? Okay, so you're focusing on the assistance to those who, who need to recover. Well, um, to my mind, that's at all, again, it's all levels of society. You're going to yeah. have business gone, you're going to have communities having lost infrastructure, yeah. you're going to have years without conventional income streams. If mm. this is all too big, Yellen will cut it out. Well, not just, and, the, and the literal environment. Yeah, that yeah. too. But it just seems to me that mm. we're, we're now seeing a conjunction mm. of all these things. Mm. It seems the perfect opportunity for the multidisciplinary Absolutely. We need everybody at once to come together. And I would add to that the, the need for dr- drastic change in agricultural practice in Australia. We also need to change the way in which we construct houses. And uh, So this the, would be the chance to redo both of those things. Indeed. And uh, the vulnerability of houses to bushfires, uh, the fact that bushfires, or the, I mean, we're living through a period of long, enduring drought. I mean, it's an exceptional period, but we all know that with global warming, those periods are going to occur more frequently, drought periods are going to go on for longer, and we've also seen a linking up. It's not a, a problem unique to Australia. We've seen the problem with fires in the Amazon, which also have been contributed to politically by the government. Yeah, and fires and, in uh, Siberia. Yeah. And in California. I yeah. mean, we normally would request planes to be for, for fire bombing from California, but the extension of their fire season meant that they that was no share. longer available. Yeah. In New South Wales, we've seen a reduction in parks and wildlife ranges from 260 to 200 over the life of the Liberal government. And, of course, parks and wildlife ranges provide really important advice to firefighters so they can deal in their they know the ground. environment. They know the ground, yeah. yeah. So even just that process of um, helping farmers to restock because they have lost a, 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 a lot of them have lost uh, stock to, to the fires. 
changing our farming practices so that we can also provide wildlife corridors and um, and we've lost what current estimates 1.2 billion marsupials and birds and animals due to the fires and people are doubting that a number of species will be able to recover from that devastation so there's a huge amount of work you know for parks and wildlife rangers trying to restore those things and I think more broadly, um, I've come back from um, a visit to China in November last year, and I'd been to Shanghai in the early 90s, and going back to Shanghai um, in November, what struck me was, first of all, the number of apartments you see going up everywhere, and many of them with solar power panels on top of them. Yep. I travelled from Nanjing to Dalian, some you know, 1,800 kilometres on very fast trains, travelling at 310 kilometres per hour, it's the largest rail network in the world. And in Australia, we've been debating for 30 years about a very fast train linking Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. And still, we see nothing. Yeah, both economically and ecologically, mm. moving people quickly, cheaply, with less waste of resources. And once it's built, less damage to the environment than the plane constantly flying over it. Seems a pretty good plan, doesn't it? Exactly. And uh, the Chinese system, they, they stick these um, rail lines on pillars, concrete pillars. You could have wildlife corridors Walking underneath under those it. lines. Yes. Yeah. Uh, along the Great Dividing Range, you could have yeah. hub and spoke systems connecting smaller urban domains to that sort of grid. Yeah. And it would have a huge impact. And, and of course, the ability to then move firefighters, move equipment with the high-speed trains to move people out of danger, you get infrastructure that's good for managing a potentially hostile environment. Absolutely, yeah. So I think, I mean, it's a huge issue, it's a huge question, but we do need to mobilise resources. That's really the key to it all, and MMT provides some insight into how we can achieve that. In your experience, have you found there is a, a best first step for bringing people together in multidisciplinary teams? Is there a good first way to bridge the experience and the indoctrination gap? I've been trying myself to find like-minded people who want to do modelling work together. And one of the problems is that most of the models, the ecological models in use in Australia at the moment, are based on dodgy neoclassical principles <laughs> They might have reasonable scientific models of the processes underpinning climate change, which are incredibly complex, as we know. If you're using economic models, which are essentially neoclassical models of growth, you're going to run into, into problems. And you'll often find quite good economists resorting to these models because there doesn't appear to be anything else available to them. Yeah, so you use what you have because you can't necessarily find the person to create the new and better one with. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, there are some good models available for people who are working within the post-Keynesian economic tradition. And, um, you know, the work of Wynne Godley and Mark Lavoie in developing stock flow consistent models, for example. Uh, and those can be informed by MMT principles and applied in ecological modelling. But, I mean, that's just one aspect of what we have to do. And I think, at times, you need to work with scientists to develop indicators... Working with notions of labour time, you can derive quite sensible measures of resource efficiency, but we need to look at things like uh, usage of water, irrigation, in terms of the value of agricultural products. We need very detailed industry information on how much different industries contribute to global warming. Uh, I mean, 
cattle and pigs, for example, farting and burping are a, a big problem. Yep. And methane is four times more problematic than carbon dioxide. So we need that scientific modelling to inform the sort of economic decisions we make about which ecological policies we should be promoting. So part of it is to make sure that we get the data while we're taking small decisions so we look like we're doing something, but you know, don't leap until the big data's in. Well, I don't things. think we can construct a complete model of a system of systems that would give us all the answers. I think we have to be more realistic and work with modular modelling of particular cases, and the models you might need for water management will probably be different to the models you might need to achieve reductions in emission of greenhouse gases, for example. By making models modular, would that mean too that you know, someone might be able to go, hey, I could take the basic structure of that model and bend it to a new use? So in a sense, you're not constantly having to construct things from scratch? Would this yes, be more I of think, a plug-and-play uh, world, do you think? Very much. I mean, I've, I've been looking at um, a lot of the techniques for viewing systems as um, building, you know, made of building blocks and understanding... Mm-hmm the relationship between the building blocks and the system as a whole. There are a lot of people doing work in that area and an MMT approach can give you some insight into understanding the resource efficiency components of the model and then the science can put flesh on the, on the bones, if you like, and give us the sort of indexes or metrics that we need. And that was a really important point Stephanie made yesterday is it's not a question of how you pay for things, it's a question of how do you resource them. Exactly, yep. and how you mobilise the resources. Yep. And that, you know, even if we can just get people to say, take that first big step that, you know, to understand the interface between the ecological and the economic, you know, the ecological can be seen as resources, but how much of that do we want to mobilise, in what way, and how much are we willing to sacrifice uh, if we can't do it in a renewable way? Yes, and I think uh, aggregate indexes have a role to play uh, because they give us some insight into how severe the problem is and who are the worst offenders, if you like. Mm. But uh, we also need that detailed industry breakdown of processes as well. James, are there any questions you wish we had asked you? (laughs) I think you've done a great job, so thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you, James, for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Likewise, thank you. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the Ozcast Network. Peace out.